AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Disappointing weekend rains in South America chase sellers from the soy complex this morning. Temperatures are moving up from frigid levels. The president will sign the omnibus spending bill. And stakeholders from farmers to traders to farm state legislators are getting ready to flip the calendar to 2023. Live from the week that Christmas forgot via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Professor Jim Mintert from Purdue University. Then it's an extended chat with pro-farmer policy OG Jim Wiesmeyer. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Laurie. All right, Davis Michelson, welcome back, my friend. Hey, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Um, and a little hesitation I, there. It was very merry, yes. Okay. Um, you know, the dentist sometimes sends you with a prescription that makes you extra merry, kind of a thing, type <laughs> yeah. of deal. But yeah. I, I'm pleased to report I did get my two front teeth for Christmas. That's all that, I wanted. It's all that I wanted. Is, that is fantastic. <laughs> Good for you. Well, you sound wonderful here this morning. You sound well, well you. rested. You've, yes. You sound like you got a full face of teeth. I mean, yes. it's, it, it sounds good. I feel like I could lift a car right now, Chip. That's how good I feel. <laughs> I might try good. it, too. Hey, no, we don't need you causing any <laughs> self-injury and spending more time in some chair somewhere trying to no. get things under control. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. That, of course, is Davis Michelson. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. I, it's not too late, is it? I don't think it's too late. No. no. No, no. Heck no, it's not too late. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. Found a little time to spend uh, with friends and with family and to maybe open a mm-hmm. present and eat a nice meal. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff that goes along with the holiday season. And, of course... Time to give a little thanks and praise back to uh, the whole reason for the season, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. The, Amen, brother. Preach. Yeah, man. Um, so we uh, we we had a great time at the Flory Ranch. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. And some of the some of the the travel plans got a little waylaid. Nothing like Southwest. Yeah. Okay. nothing like southwest uh because we actually we made a little adjustments here and there but we Mm -hmm. we found time to get together with most that we intended to get together with so well good well here at the southern outpost we locked the doors and you know you'll be pleased to know that by christmas day itself i was able to uh to enjoy a full complement of christmas meal food there was pecan pie there was turkey the whole bit so it was nice. it was wonderful here as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yep. All right, buddy, let's get to it. What have you got in the news? Well, nothing like starting the day off with a daily sale. Private exporters reported sales of 177,500 metric tons of corn for delivery to Japan. 
7,500 tons uh, for delivery during 22-23, 170,000 metric tons for delivery during the 23-24 marketing year. Japan showing up for some corn. Yeah, and, you know, we always talk about the the value buyers in the market. When I think Mm -hmm. about value buyers, there's Mexico, there's Japan, there's South Korea. Colombia has kind of become that way. If Japan is seeing value in that new, new crop corn, the 23-24 crop corn, uh, makes me wonder if we're not going to see some additional buying come into the market over the next week or 10 days. Well, Chip U.S. consumers boosted retail sales by 7.6% between November 1 and December 24. That's according to a report from MasterCard covering a majority of the holiday season. The sales growth fell short of the rise seen last year over the period of 8.5%. Also, Chip, for December, the Dow currently down 4%. S&P down 5.8%. And the NASDAQ down 8.5% with all three benchmarks heading for their worst annual performances since 2008. Yeah, yeah, worse since 2008, but well off session lows, um, or session, yearly lows, because mm-hmm. the Dow at one point was off more than 15%, so we've we've clawed back quite a bit. Dow trading 108 uh, points higher here this morning. And, you know, when it comes to the spending, mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, there's – there's a bit of a sticker shock going on for some of the consumers out there, including mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it oh. when it came time to buy Christmas presents, some of the things that I traditionally get for members of the family, things like shotgun shells and yeah. uh, stuff like that, you look at the increase that we've seen year to year, and I'm like, yeah, a case has become two boxes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, WTI crude oil futures firmed above $80 on Monday evening and remained there for a short time early this morning before falling back with Brent temporarily breaking the $85 mark. Chip, I think we're back above 80 bucks at the moment on the WTI crude futures. 80.41. The move in oil prices was driven by China's announcement that inbound travelers would no longer face mandatory travel quarantine. Refinery closures in the United States due to that devastating winter storm added to upward pressure on oil prices. As of Friday the 23rd, as much as 1.5 million barrels per day of the Gulf Coast's refining capacity was shut down due to freezing temperatures. Obviously, we've got some relief coming on that front this week, but they've got to refire those refining facilities, and it takes a little bit of time to get that capacity back. Well, Russian President Putin says that Moscow remains committed to the war in Ukraine, saying that the Russian population is prepared to endure a protracted conflict. Russia's defense ministry said Sunday its forces were continuing offensive operations in eastern Ukraine, including areas Kiev's forces retook during an offensive over the fall. Taiwan's defense ministry said China sent 71 warplanes and seven naval vessels on strike drills into its air defense zone within a 24-hour period. China has condemned an American spending bill that included military assistance for Taiwan, accusing both countries of escalating their, quote, collusion and provocation. Meanwhile, Taiwan extended mandatory military service in response to growing fears of China. The U.S. Department of Transportation said it would investigate Southwest Airlines' large rate of flight cancellations as the country contends with the aftermath of the large deadly blizzard. Southwest canceled 70% of its flights Monday and warned it was on pace to operate only one-third of its schedule for several more days as it works to get it together. 
And finally, the chief executive of one of Europe's largest insurance companies has warned that cyber attacks, rather than natural catastrophes, will become uninsurable as the disruption from hacks continues to grow. Insurance executives have been increasingly vocal in recent years about systemic risks, such as pandemics and climate change, that test the sector's ability to provide coverage. Chip, those uh, those cyber attacks are one of those things yeah. you just you just can't predict. No, that's exactly right. And you can do what you can to prevent them, but when the hackers are out there working every day in an effort to find new and innovative ways mm-hmm. to get in and create chaos, uh, it it uh, it is a threat that I think we probably will have to learn even more how to deal with it in 2023 and 2023. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. Like 2022 does, does it? 2023, 23. I'll have to work on it. I'll work on it. Yeah. 2023. You're you're putting those new front teeth to hard work with that. 23, 23, 23, 23, aluminum, linoleum. (laughs) I love it. All right. Jim Mintert, ag economist at Purdue university. He's got a big conference coming up here next week. We're going to find out some of the details and talk ag economics next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Davis Michelson is back. Yes, sir. Ready to roll here this week as we make our way into another holiday weekend, another three-day weekend, and uh, uh, the, the start of 2023. So I'm going to keep saying it, trying to get okay. used to it. Okay. Yeah. 2023. 23. Yes. Jim Mintert is the director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University. He joins us every month. And as a matter of fact, this is the second time this month. And as a matter of fact, he will be with us again next week to go over the ag barometer. But right now we're talking about a big conference that uh, Jim and Purdue has every year. He joins us right now. Jim, it's good to talk with you. Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas to you, Chip and Davis and all your listeners, and hope everybody's had a, or in the process of having a great holiday week. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, so Top Farmer Conference. It is coming on January 6th. Let's talk about what you've got on the agenda and uh, 
who will be there and who should be there for the event? Yeah, so the Top Farmer Conference at Purdue has a long history. This conference really goes back to all the way to the 1960s. And so in recent years, you know, one of the few good things that came out of the pandemic, Chip, was the idea that you can attend a conference virtually. And so uh, this conference is back in person this year in West Lafayette, but for the people that want to do it, or maybe it's not convenient to come to West Lafayette, you can attend virtually. Last year in a virtual format, we had people from 33 states and three foreign countries attend. So hopefully some of your listeners that maybe don't find it convenient to travel all the way to West Lafayette will will take advantage of it. But it's a great conference. We're going to kick it off with really the hot topics of the year. I mean, the first one is uh, we're going to talk about what's going on with interest rates. What are the implications for the ag economy? Uh, Dr. Jason Henderson, who's on our faculty and, and will yeah. soon be joining the faculty of Iowa State University, um, spent over a decade at the Federal Reserve Bank at uh, Kansas City, and he was really the, the go-to guy for ag at the Fed. So he's going to take a lead on that one, along with a couple of my colleagues, Dr. Michael Langemar and Dr. Brady Brewer. We're going to yeah. talk about what interest rates are going to do, what they're likely to do, and maybe more importantly, what are some of the implications for what's it mean out in the country? What's it mean with respect yeah. to operating loans? Uh, what's it mean with respect to maybe some implications for farmland values, which will lead right into the next session. Uh, Dr. Todd Keithy, who's our farmland chair uh, here in the department, is going to be leading a session with uh, Howard Halderman from Halderman Farm Real Estate and Management cool. and R.D. Schrader. And, and R.D. Schrader and, and Howard Halderman lead two of the largest farmland auction yeah. companies in the nation, uh, not just here in Indiana, but in the nation. And right. so they're going to share some insight with respect to what they've been seeing uh, at the auctions, uh, what they think is going to happen, uh, not only the rest of this winter, but maybe looking a little farther down the road. So with the rise in interest rates and what's taken place with farmland prices yeah. already, a lots to talk about when, when it yeah. comes up uh, focus on farmland. Yeah, exactly, Jim. No question about it. You know, even just the idea of living with higher interest rates and and relearning for many and learning for the first time in how to account for that going forward. I I feel like that needs to be up the priority list for a lot of operations out there. That's exactly right. You know, and and I teach uh, commodity futures here at at Purdue. And when I do examples in class, I, one of the topics I cover is storage hedging. And of course in storage hedging, one of the things you look at is how much it costs you to give up the opportunity to sell that crop at harvest time and keep it in storage in a bin, either at home or in a commercial storage facility. And those examples changed pretty dramatically when you look, for example, at soybeans being stored at an interest rate of four or 5% versus an interest rate of about nine or maybe even 10%. It makes a big difference. And that really kind of brought it home to me and and certainly to my students this fall. And I think it's a realization that maybe a lot of us haven't quite quite thought through yet, but it does change the picture in 2023. Oh, it absolutely does. And I love how you said that, give up the opportunity to sell at harvest time. That's exactly right. Um, it, and, and it is, once you give that opportunity up, you start to incur costs. And yeah, understanding how those costs function and interest are a big part of it, um, it it's it's it is definitely important to understand and then of course the impact on farmland values jim when we talk about the the results on the ag barometer interest rates in the climbing interest rate environment has has become a a uh, uh a regular mention 
when when uh, when you talk about farmland values. Well, that's exactly right. And there has been a change. If you look at that survey over time, our participants or the people that respond to the surveys each month remain relatively optimistic about farmland values, mm-hmm. but you can detect a change in sentiment. A year ago on that survey, I think 6% of the people in the survey said they thought farmland prices might decline in the next 12 months. On the most recent survey, the one we did um, in November, that changed to 15%. So, you, And you can see the percentage of people that expect farmland values to go up over the next year has come down sharply as well. So people are still optimistic. They're cautiously optimistic, but there has been a change in sentiment. And as we look ahead, uh, you know, I think the, the farmland outlook is really interesting with respect to not only what's going on in the next few months between now and, say, planning time, but looking ahead to 2024, if the Fed continues to push interest rates as they've indicated they're likely to do, yeah. it seems likely that we're going to see some impact on farmland values. Sure does. Yeah, no question. No question. Um, okay, let's move on to another topic. And this is one that we talk about on AgriTalk every week, and that is used machinery values. Uh, uh, what? Who's going to be addressing that for you? Yeah, so I think all your listeners are familiar with the data that Machine Repeat collects and has been collecting really for decades and the insights that he brings to farm machinery values. Tyler Mark, who's an associate professor of ag economics at the University of Kentucky, has worked with Machine Repeat, had access to his data set, and has been able to take that analysis to another level with respect to building models that explain how those values change, what are the characteristics that influence values, you know, when I look at used machinery values, Chip, you know, one of the things you're always kind of wondering about, well, here's a combine that's got 500 hours on the separator. Here's a, the same make model of combine, same age. It's got 1,000 hours. How much difference in value should there be between those right. two? And Tyler's been able to build models that really address that. So you can look at things in a very quantitative way as opposed to kind of a guesstimation kind of a way. So cool. in addition to that, of course, Tyler would be talking about you know, we've pushed these farm machinery, these used farm machinery levels prices to levels we haven't seen before. Right. What are the implications of that down the road? How will interest rates play into that? There's just a lot to talk about with respect to machinery values. And the access yeah. to that machine repeat data set has been huge in terms of the analysis that Tyler's been able to do. So I'm really look, looking forward to that session. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I'm interested in that one as well. Um, okay. So machinery part of the input cost you're going to be taking a look at fertilizer prices as well yeah mike rom who spent his entire career working in the fertilizer industry first for cargill and then later on toward uh, working for mosaic has retired from those firms and is now an independent consultant and chip you know what that means when you're an independent consultant you can say what you think so here's an opportunity (laughs) yeah here's an opportunity to interact with somebody who is inside the industry, but can say whatever they want to say and, and really look at what's driving these changes in fertilizer prices. And, you know, for your for your Iowa listeners, uh, Mike's got a great background. He has a PhD in economics from Iowa State University, spent mm-hmm. the last few decades working and living in Minnesota. So he knows that part of the country as well as uh, the Eastern Corn Belt where we're located. So it's really going to be an interesting perspective on what's driving the change in, in fertilizer values. Uh, what can we expect not only in 23, but looking ahead to 24? Yep. Excellent. Did I see Chad Hart from Iowa State on your list of speakers? Chad Hart, who I who I know many of your listeners uh, know very well. Chad was on our program back in 2020 and did a great job. 
Um, you know, we do corn and soybean outlook here at Purdue, but I think for a conference like this, it's important to bring in somebody else that's got a little different perspective. And so Chad's a great speaker and a great analyst. Yep. And uh, so he's going to talk about not only what we can expect to see here over the rest of the winter in, into early 23, but looking farther down the road as people make plans with respect to longer term rental agreements, uh, longer term you know, farmland purchases, making investments. What can we expect to see these next several years? Our perspective here at Purdue is that we're kind of on the cusp of a change. It'll be interesting to see what Chad's got to say and, and have an opportunity to visit with him. Yeah, very good. Very good. If you're And if you want a little bit of a preview of what he's going to say, we had him on the show last week. Uh, in the afternoon hour and and took a look at, at got an idea of what what chad is thinking about okay not a lot of time give us the details where do we go for more information the easiest way to find us is to go to our website and the easy way for most listeners probably whatever your favorite search engine is just search for purdue uh, center for commercial agriculture that's the easy way to find it and then you'll find all the information about the conference and how you register and you can choose virtual attendance by way of zoom or we would love to have you come to West Lafayette and visit with us in person. Good luck with it, my friend. We will talk with you again next week when we get the update to the Ag Barometer. And, of course, we'll be able to give everybody a reminder that Top Farmer is coming up on January 6th. Jim, thanks, buddy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And Brian Grady is taking some much-deserved time off this week. But we've got Chip Flory. Chip, I want to flip the script a little bit. I know you love to yeah. talk cattle. Uh, I yeah. think I missed a report on Friday. Looks like we're under some pressure to start this week in the cattle complex. Yeah, we are under pressure. It's not heavy pressure. We got the February contract off 40 cents right now. That cattle on feed report on Friday showed the placement pace in November was higher than what was anticipated. Marketing's right in line with trade expectations. And so the end result there is that the feedlot inventory on December 1 was just a touch, and I mean just a touch, out of line with what the trade was expecting. And and so just a bit of, of selling pressure on here. Uh, maybe more important for the cattle complex this morning, we've got the corn market that is higher. That's got some pressure on feeder cattle. Over on hogs, real quick, had the hogs and pigs report out on Friday as well. The, the, the forward-looking indicators might suggest that there's a little bit of expansion coming in but not so much uh to to bring pressure to the nearby markets that are higher today 
Crude oil turns out back above 80 bucks in the WTI. Yep. How much influence is that having on the grains? we got corn well, and pulling, beans higher. Yeah, pulling soybean oil to the upside today, no question about it. More than 200 points higher in the March contract. That has triggered some spread action with the selling of soybean meal against buying of soybean oil. The pressure on soybean meal that's resulting from that has pulled soybeans back from session highs. Corn still trading to the upside. Uh, the weather weekend rains in, in dry areas of Argentina and southern Brazil, a little disappointing. And then wheat is trading slightly higher to modestly higher here this morning. That's Chip Flory taking a look at the markets on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors on your favorite radio station or yeah, you don't want to digital device. AgriTalk is live no. every weekday. No. No. That's why a lot of people choose the mixer ice cubes. That's the bottom line right there. Ice cubes are good. You know, they, ice uh, cubes are good. There is a gingerbread liqueur, too. You really? put a splash of that in some, some hot cocoa. You put a little peppermint schnapps in there, a little whipped cream on top. Boy, howdy, everybody in the house is happy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Here's a man that has been known to marinate an ice cube or ten. <laughs> yeah. Chip well, Wiesmeyer. I put more ice cubes on my leg, Chip. <laughs> yeah. Pro former policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Jim, we're still saying Merry Christmas, my friend. How are you? Abs- absolutely. Until the tree comes down, it's Christmas. There you go. There you go. How is that knee coming along, buddy? Uh, when I step on it, it hurts. So I think yeah. I'm going to have to have some ortho- arthroscopic surgery. But it is getting better. The pain is uh, relieving somewhat. So Good. Good. Yeah, our friend Jim has been laid up just a bit here. And uh, I think about you all the time because I don't want that. <laughs> knee pain is something that I don't want to have to deal with. Oh, my that, goodness. that and getting two front teeth or four front teeth replaced, I don't want anything to do with that. It's not so bad. No, absolutely not. So bad. Bad. <laughs> oh, I can geez. laugh about it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Now. <laughs> I got my smile back. <laughs> right. Right. All right, Jim. Um, there are... You know what? We need to start with an update of the omnibus spending bill. What what is the status there? First of all, well, it, it's law, and but l- let's get to the bottom line, Chip. I think this really increases the odds that both the Senate and the House should get a new farm bill done in 2023. Uh, okay. They put more than a few dollars in this for farm bill related uh, topics, especially food stamps and some of the climate change funding. So I think that that lessened the hurdle, uh, reduced the hurdles uh, to, to, to actually get a farm bill done. Okay. What are, let's, let's get a little bit more specific on a couple of the items that, that you're looking at here. You know, the, the growing climate solutions act, authorizes USDA to oversee the registration of farm technical advisors and carpet credit verification services. This is kind of a standardization effort, isn't it? So that we know which programs do what? Absolutely. And standardization in any program, Chip, is key. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll eventually see it in the battery, in, in EVs. 
once you get a standardization, you can move on from that. And, and, so, and, and it's just an issue that they don't have to resolve in the Farm Bill. And the, the Sustains Act allows corporations and, 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 uh, and, and private firms to uh, you know, contribute for conservation programs. And it authorizes USDA to match those projects, I think, up to 75%. That's another climate change uh, uh, yeah. item. And lastly, uh, the the food stamp funding, they got a major inclusion to make permanent this what we call the summer EBT food stamp program. It just allows uh, $40 a month, you know, per child. And they gave some flexibility for the rural countryside uh, in, in, in that endeavor. So bottom line, there, there's more than a chunk of change uh, uh, in this bill. Right, right. Yesterday, we had a conversation with Trey Hill, farmer from Maryland, that talked about changing attitudes about these climate or smart, uh, climate smart farming practices. And his attitude has become and he's been involved in in these kinds of regenerative farming activities and so on for quite some time. But his bottom line was change your attitude. It's not something that you have to do. It is a service that you are providing. It's a service he's, that you're providing, and and the Sustains Act really emphasizes that because it's a donation from a private entity. It's matched by USDA, and then it goes back out into the the ag economy via these uh, these climate smart farming practicing practices incentives, right? Yes, absolutely. Two things. I always like when they blend. Uh, the private sector with government or taxpayer paid programs. They usually work out. Two is being in Virginia, I'm well aware of Maryland, and they were years ahead in the oh, yeah. conservation uh, area. So he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, we've always said when the pie is passed, take a piece. And yes, keep your mind open because this town is going to throw not millions, billions of dollars at the climate change effort. Yep, yep. I'm going to drop down further further down the list of things that you've got in the agriculture letter this week, Jim. Uh, go down to the Army Corps en- emergency funding, $1.48 billion. Do you have any specifics on that? I'm going to get it. but And this is beyond... You know what we yeah. what we have in the water in in the water resource development acts and and th- th- that's big time. So we're finally putting some muscle money, Chip, into our much needed infrastructure funding areas. Yep. Well, when I see that emergency funding, it's got to have something to do with the low water levels on the Ohio, the Illinois, the Mississippi, even and and the Missouri rivers and in. Trying to find some way to keep those those waterways open for business. Yes, not just it's not it's not new projects. This is improving right. you know, navigation, and we've seen the one of the best returns on investment is when we pump money into our infrastructure, especially the great waterway system. So this town has had a kind of a mindset change on on really pumping a lot more money, not only into new projects but restoring some of the good you know water transportation uh, uh endeavors of the past yep it's good right. news okay all right one democrat voted no for the bill uh, alexandria Acacio, yeah acacio cortez why she wanted more she wanted 
<laughs> she wanted more. It's talking about strange bedfellows. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, and that and the fact that it is sending funding to border efforts and to the military, those are the big reasons she voted no, isn't it? Yeah, that and uh, she she's a maverick. But, you know, look at look at the uh, most of the Republicans who voted for it, especially in the House, are no longer going to be in the new Congress. Yeah. So they had some cover, if you will. But there is a lot of gnashing of teeth on what they did. But overall, yes, it's a lot of spending. But I, I think you should begin a new Congress, January 3rd, with a clean slate. And and this does the uh, uh, aspect of that, Chip. And for, for agriculture, I can't quibble with many of the things uh, they did. Uh, ag research, uh, they pumped it up by $175 million, which yep. is almost $3.5 billion in, in in 2023 fiscal year. Uh, so uh, again, they're tugging at my hardship because those are visioned things. These are long-term you know, you know, funding that this country needs. Okay. All right. Is McCarthy going to be Speaker of the House? Well, most of the smart thinkers, and you know my attitude on the smart thinkers, think he will. Uh, he's gonna, it's, How much does he have to give to those far right members of his party, but they're seeking th those uh, far right people are seeking alternatives. Uh, 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 perhaps uh, Scalise from Louisiana, uh, perhaps somebody else. But uh, uh, McCarthy, well, I think, I has earned his spurs. He's earned his spurs, and I think he'll eventually pull it out. But it's going to be ugly. You know, I've heard Jim Jordan's name tossed around here recently too. Yes, Jim Jordan is just it's it surfaced the, the you know this morning. He's articulate, uh, uh, you know, getting into that little more far far right uh, area, yep. Chip and McCarthy. I think would would be a team builder, and he comes from an area of California that produces more you know more than a few products, so he knows agriculture. Yep, yep. You know, uh, from from conversations that i've had over the, the the weekend and and more recently uh parties or people in both parties are paying attention to the committee appointments and jim jordan being chair of the judiciary committee has really got a lot of people on both sides paying attention to what's going on because he's going to pursue a lot of these efforts that uh you know i'm thinking about the Biden laptop. I'm thinking about um, going Af way Afghanistan. back. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. COVID origin. COVID origins. Yeah. You know all those. And the the good thing about him, Chip, is he is very articulate. So in the front of the public, he can get that message out of what the Republicans are are trying to do. That has not been the case in you know many situations in the recent past. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, one an, an interesting twist that I'm picking up on and it's not from it's not from everyone, but I I know members of the Democrat Party that are saying, listen, let's go ahead and have these investigations and get it over with so that we can move on as a country. 
you you absolutely need that yeah and and uh, let's bring well you're seeing what's happened with the hidden stuff on twitter uh not but yeah. now it's it's opened up how much of that in the other areas of 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 our government has been dastardly i think that they're opening up more than a can of worms but it needs to happen just needs yep. to happen all right all right we're in the middle of a conversation with jim weismeyer pro farmer policy analyst jim is coming back for the final segment and when he comes back, okay, Title 42 could expire today. What might that mean? Um, Xi Jinping seems to be relaxing the COVID restrictions further. It's supporting the, the energy markets today. What's Jim's take on that, how it might impact trade going forward? And Missouri. Missouri is the 10th state to seek year-round availability of E15. Will it happen? We'll find out from Jim Weismar. Coming up next here on Agriculture. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. It really is a season of O'Neater, isn't it, David? You no, know, I uh, I watched uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I yeah. gotta say, Liv Tyler. Oh, yeah, in, in any flavor. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Love it. Is there a song about a winter Oneiderland? Living in a winter Oneiderland. Yes. Walking in a winter Oneiderland. Yeah. 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 Very good. There's something about a dead bird in that song, too. Is there there a dead bird in there? I'm not sure. I was thinking there. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Welcome back. I'm Chip. That's Davis. Big Apple Joe's here in the studio. And Jim Weismeyer, performer policy analyst, is our guest this morning. Kind of a, kind of a, a, a makeup on signal to noise is what we are doing this week. Next week, we're going to be doing the same thing uh, because with, with uh, Mondays off uh, yesterday and this upcoming Monday, we're giving you a taste of signal to noise, something that Jim and I do regularly. At 8.15 on Monday mornings to get everybody up and, and running and ready to go with uh, 
DC happenings. So, you know, Chip, uh, I had a signal to noise listener email me. Is there any hog aid in this yeah. omnibus? Well, at first I wanted to say no, but then that $3.7 billion in farm disaster aid, that's the uh, uh, emergency relief program, allocates almost $495 million for uh, livestock losses. So, uh, you know, you, you know, that would qualify, but that would be 2022 losses, Chip. Yeah, that's on 2022 losses. I think what most are concerned about is some of the losses that were incurred in 2020 that still aren't covered and that were caused by, you know, the disruptions on the processing pace and, and what ended up in, you know, euthanizing some market-ready hogs because there was no place for them to go. Yeah, I think that there's a cause uh, that should be done for that, Chip. And much like the cotton uh, merchandisers uh, got, uh, and they yep. deserve that. So I think a lobby effort should be made to, uh, you know, post uh, date, get it. So yeah. I, I still wouldn't rule it out in the future. Yeah, yeah. And uh, rice producers got what some have called long overdue uh, help in in the omnibus bill very much overdue and i don't think the millers got anything but uh, if you tried to if you produced rice in 2022 you had to have extremely high cost and not near the price gains that the other major commodities got well deserved okay all right um let's go to this one title 42 could expire today what what might be the impacts well even a, a, a significant increase from the uh, e illegal, uh, you, you know, people already Border coming across. Crossings. We had record number of migrants crossed in November, Chip. It, it's just, it's a strategy I do not understand uh, that the Biden administration is doing if they let it lapse. If they want to see even more people come across, that is the way to do it. Yeah. You know, what, 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 uh just i guess fascinates me through all of this is they is the biden administration just seems uninterested the optics on how they are handling this situation are absolutely terrible and as, as i said they seem uninterested in, in in saying that yeah we've got an issue at the border that needs to be dealt with you know i am meeting several months ago when texas a&m university brings up their honor students and i'm one of the people who talk with them I first saw it when there was a question raised where those students in Texas uh, 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 were, were, were worried about those migrants crossing and not many hands raised, Chip, and unless you were near the border. And, I, and frankly, that comes across in U.S. national polls, too. And I think yeah. the White House is looking at that, by the way. They just don't see it as an impacting the majority of Americans. I think they're wrong, but but I think that that's what they're uh, going through there now. And that's probably why they don't want to go to the border and see it. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, the president has either said no or ignored the invitation of several border uh, border towns. Uh, El Paso being the latest to come down and, and see the, the situation firsthand and just not doing it. And and I'm sorry, but Vice President Harris has she's supposed to be in charge of the border issue. And she barely addresses that that we've got a border. 
Yes, this will be an initial test for the new Congress in 2023. If we're going to get any bipartisanship, uh, you could get it with uh, migration reform, border reform. First, you have to secure the border. That's got to be a gimme to the Republicans. Then you can talk about other aspects that the Democrats want. And they have three to six months to do that, Chip, before I say that this uh, you know, you know, new Congress will be the same. But I'm going to okay. give them three to six months. Right. Right. OK. Uh, Missouri is the 10th state to seek year-round availability of E15. Does E15 availability on a national basis have a real chance? I don't about I don't know about a national uh, basis. We thought we had it in the omnibus bill and there could have been some controversy uh for some states so they pulled it out but if we can get those 10 and i think we will chip i think epa will 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 approve those that's mo more than a step in the right direction yeah i wonder if after the 10 states get approval if if, if a national year-round availability of e15 might actually pick up some some momentum i think it, there's it, momentum it behind it it will. It will pick yeah. up momentum. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, no question. All right, Jim, you've got 20 seconds. What else are you watching this week? Well, China, you mentioned it. It's big time because they're reopening up their country, and you can see it in a post uh, a potpourri of markets. And so they may end their biggest slide by the end of January. Let's hope for. And uh, that's that's going to lessen the odds of a of a major recession in the world and the U.S. Yeah, very good, very good, Jim. Thank you, my friend. Uh, happy New Year, and we will talk again next week. Okay. All right, that is Pro Farmer Policy Analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Thanks for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. Jim, uh, Jim, Jeff Peterson, Heartland Farm Partners will be our guest.